Warning. What follows is a story of monsters, madness, and mayhem. I'm Nick. I'm Zach. Welcome to Weird and Feared, a barely educational podcast about global folklore that aims to enlighten, entertain, and expand your world. Good evening. What's up? Not much. I'm going to tell you a story. How do you feel about that? Uh, feel pretty good about that. Is that okay? And I don't think you I know mean, what's kind of what I expected. So I don't know if you weren't going to tell me a story, what to do. Yeah, if I wasn't going to tell you a story, I don't know what I would do in place of that either. Yeah. Nothing that would just, probably tra- translate we just well. Stare to at me. each other through the internet. Yeah. Which is a awkwardly. good audio. Yeah, that's a good audio. Um, <laughs> Yeah, production is two men just staring at each other quietly. Yeah. Yeah. So we ain't doing that. We're doing a story. Cool. And this story starts, or rather involves, California. Really? California. Yeah, we haven't quite, we have, we've been out west, but we haven't been that far out west. Interesting. Interesting. That's about as west as you can go, really. Unless you yeah, go north. That's true. That would be about as west if you go to one of the northern states. But California. Or rather, what would become California contains several native peoples whose way of life was optimized for surviving in a harsh desert environment. One such people was the northern Paiute peoples whose territory comprised essentially the Great Basin of the United States, which is located in the aforementioned California. Now, you're gonna, we're going to have some California facts here, so hang in there. Right, Eastern cool. California, to be more precise, Western Nevada, and Southwest Oregon. They maintained peaceful relations with the Shoshone, And these relations were so favorable that drastic distinctions between the groups cannot be made. Like, they speak the same languages, a lot of the same cultures are the same, they're different, but they're, like, a, you know, they're, they come from, like, the same, the same cloth, basically. Mm -hmm. Now, other neighbors, however, such as the Washoe, or Washoe, I should look that up, it's my fault, did not have as warm of relations, and the northern Pauts were continually at Pauts, that's how you say it. Continually at war with the Klamath and the Akamawi peoples, even further south. And the um, the Akamawi, they told oral stories of war with the Paut. These tales being some of their most ancient. So that um, those conflicts go way back. Okay. Now, the Pauts were nomadic peoples whose territory generally surrounded a significant body of water where they could fish and find waterfowl to eat. And uh, different groups would unite, because basically they were nomadic. I mean, obviously, I'm not saying you don't know what that means. Obviously, you know what that means. But they would come together. The different groups would come together to accomplish big things. You know what I mean? Like, you know, they go away, they unite. 
Let's do some, let's hunt some stuff. Um, they to uh, hunt rabbits and you know prog horns and deer, all that you know big game like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, one unique trait is different groups were often defined by their primary source of food. Now, didn't look up how to pronounce these things, so that's always fun. For example, the people at Pyramid Lake were known as the Kwai Kwai Takuda, meaning Kwai Kwai eaters or trout eaters. So they were the trout eaters. Trout eaters, all right. Trout eaters. And the people of Lovelock area were known as the Koop Takuda, meaning ground squirrel eaters. So they liked those. That was noteworthy. Hmm. They liked to go into that. I mean, that and is the, something, if I saw somebody eating that, I'd be like, man, there's things with more meat on them. Right. And it, it kind of, well, it kind of escalates. Well, that, maybe that's, maybe they know how to, um, you know, it's Make like a nice ground squirrel stew. Exactly. Their specialties. So like you're, if you're, if you're used to eating trout and you come in and like, well, what is this? This is ground squirrel. Wow. This is a neat recipe. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't think about doing that. And they're like known for it. And then, uh, the people of Carson sink were known as, uh, Toitakuda, meaning tool eaters. That's a um, plant. I think it's a. Um, let's just say plant. Okay. All right. And a Kukutakati of Mono County, California, are the brine fly eaters. So they eat flies. That can't be good. A- again, like a snack. I'm sure it's like a snack delicacy type thing. I mean, if you got yeah. a big enough fly, I'm sure it's just a crunchy thing. I mean, hmm. you know, if you're yeah. if you're living if you're living amongst nature, you can't just you know, like right. pop an you know pop a M and M or something. Oh. Yeah, I mean, I know insects are supposed to be uh, pretty big if you're in like a survival situation. So, I guess it makes sense, right? And I mean, there's so many insects. If you're just into catching insects and you know where they're at, I mean, you could probably get a lot of those fuckers. Oh yeah. All right. So besides the use of horses, the Paiute culture was relatively unscathed from foreign intervention. Eventually, they would become less nomadic to stake claim to the land they had been occupying for thousands of years. Now, the earliest interactions with Europeans may have begun as early as 1820, like a random fur trader or whatever, but nothing Mm -hmm. too major. Wandered out west, and he's like, Uh hey. Yeah. And there was uh, the one of the traders named. It's not in here, but I remember it, so I'll say it at this point because it kind of applies. There's um, um, we'll be dealing with an Owens Valley at some point, and it was like a random fur trader who barely stuck around there, but his name was like Owens or Owing, and then the other guy with okay. him was like this is this is Owens Valley when like he barely yeah. was there, he didn't hang around, and it, he just it just got to be named Owens Valley after this one guy who strolled through. Hmm. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. All right. Cool. Yeah. But unlike Mr. Owens by the or Owing, by the night by the 1840s, contact was definitely established. And once they started occupying the same living space, the Europeans embraced the differences between their cultures, and the two different groups thrived and flourished together. Yeah. No, it didn't happen. <laughs> not, <laughs> I mean that sounds that sounds cool. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah no that, that's not how that played out. Not yeah, I, I mean I didn't think so. I mean you're about to you're about to hear how that played out. So okay, get ready get ready for that. That's All that's right. coming. Yeah, let's so let's jump see. into that. Yeah, uh huh. Again, things things you just start reading about mm-hmm. during the Pyramid Lake War or the Paiute War of 1860 in what was then Utah Territory. 
after tensions reached a fevered pitch because the settlers cut down entire tree groves, trees from which the natives ate nuts and seeds. The settlers' cattle also trampled vegetation the Paiute used for food. Um, in order to use this land... Oh, never mind. We'll, we'll skip over that. No, we won't. <laughs> okay. All right, so this land is being used by the settlers. So in order to use this land, uh, Chief... Fuck, that's the misspelling of his name. I spelled it right later. Hold on. Numaga. Chief Numaga. In order to use this land, uh, Chief Numaga had been demanding two cattle, two cows a week, which the settlers kind of considered extortion. But I mean, huh. he, he's lived there for thousands of years. I'm just going to throw that out there. Now, the war started in May 1860, but the tensions had been building years prior. The rhythm the Paiutes had established over centuries had been thrown off. In 1857, there were raids and battles back and forth until the Treaty of 1858, where both sides, natives and whites alike, agreed that they would hold thieves of all races accountable for their crimes. So, they okay. would go, you know, they would be like, all right, if any, if we got any bad actors in this group, we got to hold them accountable, no matter who they are. Which mm-hmm. seems like a that seems like a reasonable thing to kind of want to do some cooperation. Mm-hmm. Kind of make the best of these two cultures thrown together, you know, yeah. willingly. Now, this little peace lasted until the terrible winter of eighteen fifty nine. Silver had been discovered, and silver prospectors flooded the area, putting an even greater strain on the delicate desert ecosystem. Because I told you they were they were primed for living in the desert, but the desert is very particular. You know, there's only so many things. Mm-hmm. Now, whites offered food to the natives to help their suffering, to help help their suffering, to help with their <laughs> suffering, not to help them uh, suffer. Yeah, yeah. Not, okay. Wasn't the best phrasing there, but that's okay. Yeah. White, whites offered food to the natives to help their uh, help with their suffering, but showing just how the Paiute felt about their white neighbors, you know, nice little display of their true feelings, they refused to eat the food because they feared it may have been poisoned. So there's just no trust here at all. It's like, nah, it's okay. Yeah. No, we'd rather starve. <laughs> yeah, we'll figure something out. We'll go find our brine, brine fly eater friends and we'll get them to... Although it's winter, so maybe there's not too many flies flying around. All right. Mm-hmm. But then it brings us to, in 1860, Dexter Dunning was murdered by a band of Paiutes that had separated from Chief Numaga. The territorial governor sent a captain and some soldiers over to Numaga to see who was responsible and if it was any member of his tribe to honor the treaty and turn over the murderers. You know, what they had talked about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Chief Numaga was like, yeah, if any of my people attack whites, I'm not going to do anything about it, and I won't come into the city to talk about it to find a nonviolent solution. And oh yeah, another thing. I've heard about these silver discoveries. Yeah, how about you pay me $16,000 now to use our lands for grazing? Hmm. Okay. And uh, the cattle ranchers were still upset that he was extorting two cows from them per week. Well. Now... Yep. What do you think about that situation? 
I mean, it sounds like a rough spot to be in, you know. You get these new people out there, out there that uh, they need their cattle to grow, but then this guy's like, well, you cut down my entire source of food to make your homes, so I don't yeah. know. What do you I think? I don't know what to do here. It's a rough you, spot. <laughs> yeah. So you guys got, you guys, you guys, I mean, you're using my land. Can I have, you like money? Can I have some money that mm-hmm. I can use to maybe go somewhere and buy food since I can't get the food that I've had for thousands of years? Can we try that? No? Okay. Well, now, war seemed inevitable as the settlers thought maybe the Pahuts weren't the guilty parties because... Some of the, you know, some of the, the settlers, I'll tell you why. Like, maybe maybe the Pai, the uh, the Paiutes weren't in the wrong here. Maybe something's going on. Because okay. they knew Dexter Dunning's brother had killed a native. And perhaps anyone seeking revenge confused the two men and killed the wrong man. So, I mean... So, like, so somebody like, murdered somebody. Uh-huh. Then there was revenge killing, maybe. But it was yep. the wrong person. Yep, so it was a revenge killing by mistake. And I mean, you know, they're just like, I mean, they're brothers. They probably look pretty close, especially since it's like they're running around with a picture of what this guy looks like. Mm-hmm. Now, there was a vote, and the most uh, of the, the Paiutes voted for war. The Paiutes voted for war. But the decision was not unanimous, so they had to hold off. Now, for what it's worth, Chief Numaga voted against war. But a uh, fellow chief, Chief Winamuka, hated Numaga because Numaga spoke English and Winamuka did not. And because he spoke English, it gave him a one-up when he's talking to the settlers, you know. And the mm-hmm. settlers believed him to be the one true leader, which uh, Winamuka, or Truckee, different names, did not appreciate. He's not a fan of that. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of torn on this issue. But soon, events would transpire that would take the decision out of both chiefs' hands, after two Paiute children would go missing. Now, an 1880 account, you know, so from the future um, of when this is taking place, because this is in the 1860s, stated Mm -hmm. two settlers ripped off a Paiute in a trade over his pony at Williams Station. Now, Williams Station, it was a one-stop shop. Uh, General store, saloon, and stagecoach station. Now, the two settlers were brothers of the man who owned the station. So they're, you know, the Williams brothers. As the younger Paiute, so he's like a, he's like basically a kid. I didn't, I couldn't see how young he was, but it seems like he was a, like not an adult. Like not a full, he's like a, maybe an adolescent, maybe a teenager, you know. Mm-hmm. So as the younger Paiute, uh, Paiute argued with them over the deal, um, he traded his pony for a gun, but the gun was, I guess, a piece of shit. So he was like, it didn't work or whatever. So he's like, well, come yeah. on, guys. What do we... Like, oh, just trusting trusting the white man here. That's nice. Gave you a pony. My pony can move. My gun can't shoot. What's up with this? Yeah. Well, as they were this arguing work. about... Yeah, it's like, this isn't how... Oh, this is how you guys trade. I give you something of value, and you give me garbage. Interesting. That's, mm-hmm. that's weird. Well, as they were going back and forth, the confrontation escalated... And um, it was said he was bit by the, one of their dogs. Well, they had one dog, and he was bit by the dog, like, in the hand. And then the uh, the two men laughed at him. So that's nice. Yeah, okay. All right, so the uh, the boy returned So he's home. probably not upset about this whole interaction at all. No, he's okay. And he's probably not going to tell anybody older than him 
about what happened with this deal here. I'm sure mm-hmm. he's not going to tell anybody who will also be upset by the situation and do nothing. They, and then they'll do nothing about it. All right. So, oh, Anna. So the boy returned home and told his community about what had happened and that he had also heard boys screaming in the men's cellar. Remember how I said two pipe oh, well, children went missing? That can't be good. Yeah. Mm-mm. So he comes back with a lot of information. Mm-hmm. A group of uh, Paiutes return to the station and murder the two men. Okay. When they went into the root cellar, they found the two missing boys tied up. Okay. And after, and after freeing them, they were so enraged, they murdered every white person they could find and burned the station to the ground. Wow. All right. So... Yep, they went for it. Huh. So the uh, the the two brothers, obviously dead, and their bodies mutilated. The uh, it's a saloon. There's people hanging out drinking. The people in the saloon, dead. Mm-hmm. Um, along their path out of the uh, the town, there were two families consisting of thirteen people who lived alongside the Paiutes travel route. Well, they're dead too. Everyone hmm. was dead. There are a lot of, lot of, lot of dead people. Yeah, that's uh, pretty intense. Uh, yep. They went for it. And two shitty guys did a bad deal and had little boys trapped in a basement. I mean, that's not cool, but nope, also killing cool. everybody on your way out of town is also not cool. Right. But, uh, and what, I mean, what you read about, I mean, these, um, you know, these settler and uh, Native American interactions, it's back, it's the back and forth. Mm-hmm. Ever, because it's just like ever escalating and like, that's just, it's like, well, fuck you, well, fuck you. And then it's just, well, fuck you, fuck you. Oh, jeez. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So the, uh, the Carson Rangers came to the wreckage first, you know, from Carson City. But Judge John Cradlebow, Cradlebow, so he showed up. So like the authorities are in here. And uh, he said that the Williams brothers were notoriously shitty. Those are my words, not his, but that's basically what he said. He said they were shady. In a, so I just said shitty because this sounds like a piece of garbage thing they've been up to. Uh, they were notoriously shitty in dealing with the indigenous population and also settlers, white settlers. So the Paiutes probably had a good reason to be upset. And with that... The uh, Carson City Rangers and the judge and anybody else who was like an authority figure from out of town, uh, they took off because they didn't want to start a war. And those guys were shitty, so it's like, well, all right. Like, here's your free pass. Just leave them alone. Like, leave the natives alone now. Hopefully they got it out of their system. They went back to away from us, and they can just live their lives. Well, you know that's not how things work out. Nope. Not... Not how that's going to go. So those, the Rangers and the judge and whoever else was around, they took off. But obviously other people had assembled. And upon realizing a massacre had taken place, the remaining mob, a rowdy bunch of angry settlers fueled by whiskey and bad intentions, gathered whatever guns they could find and set off to enact their own brand of revenge upon the previously invading forces. Mm-hmm. So here's that back and forth we're talking about. Yep. It was pretty easy to follow the Paiutes. 
Their path was littered with remnants and items from the shop. And their ponies could also be easily seen from afar. So, what is, well, just reading that sentence, how do you feel about that? What do you think is going on there? Uh, nothing good. It's like, hey, come, hey, come get me. Hello. Yeah. Hey, hello. Mm-hmm. Hey, do you want to, hmm. and just, you know, hide and seek, but you can't mm-hmm. find me. When they, and by they I mean the mob, met up with the natives, with the Paiutes, they were trapped the na- the locals, the mob, was quickly trapped in a ravine, and 76 out of 105 of them were murdered when the whites panicked, tossed their, uh, tossed down their weapons, and tried to surrender. Yeah, it sounds like they walked into a trap. Ah, uh, yeah. And knowing that, they tried to surrender, and then were just massacred anyways. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> nope. An account says two natives were murdered. But someone who was 12 at the time stated, as he got older, in um, 1924, that three Paiutes were wounded, but none of them died. So 76 settlers were murdered, and no one was touched. Slaughtered. The, the natives <laughs> were fine. Yeah. Now, after this, Texas Ranger Colonel John C. Hayes assumed a militia of 13 regiments and set off after the Paiute. Now, part of this group, known as the Carson River Expedition, um, battled. There was a battle that took place at Williams Station, because they walked the uh, the expedition walked by the remnants of this burned down building that had been, you know, just obliterated. And there mm-hmm. was 150 Paiutes they had gathered there. Now I don't know what they were doing there or why they had gathered there. I mean, it's just everybody goes wherever, which I guess is fine if you're not just murdering people. So mm-hmm. they were there. So six of the Paiutes were killed and two soldiers as well. The uh, Paiutes fled. They took off after that. The militia tracked them to the site of the battle. The militia tracked them to the site of the battle by Pyramid Lake, where after three hours of stalemate fighting, Chief Numaga had been defeated. Now, it's impossible to know for sure how many uh, Paiutes were murdered. It could be around 160 up to 160. Um... But after their retreat, 70 bodies were found in the ravine. It's hard to know for sure because they carried away their dead or as many as they could, which is why the total death count, you know, is hard to determine. Okay. During that confrontation, four soldiers had been killed. But confrontations between the Paiute and American forces were not done. The 1860s were an extremely violent period in this region of California. When several states away, the American Civil War was also raging. So these, this is just totally unrelated to the Indian Wars, the Native American, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. As the country is literally ripped in half. It's a lot going on. Just a little bit. All right, so let's jump approximately three and a half hours south to the Owens Valley, 1862. Granted, that's driving time. Safe to say it would take a little bit longer to get there if you didn't have a car. Mm-hmm. If you had a horse. Significantly probably, longer. Probably wouldn't be a three-hour drive if you had a horse. No. Or a three-hour gallop. But the Owens Valley, 1862. Or actually, you know, let's let's lay a little bit of groundwork for this battle. Uh, November 1861, starting all the way up in Oregon, torrential rain had started and continued all the way into January of 1861. That's a lot. That's a let's what three months, 
of straight <laughs> rain. This would, of yeah. course, be the origins of the Great Flood of 1861, often regarded as the worst disaster in California history. Over 43 days, the equivalent of 10 feet of rainfall had ravaged Damn. California. Rain and snow alternated to create a massive shit show. Wow. Okay. Ten, ten feet of rain. That's what? a lot of rain. Uh, on Wikipedia, like, there was a it's like a, a biblical newspaper. flood right there. Yes, exactly. There's a like a there was a carving or a, a illustration on Wikipedia of like a town where people are in boats just like floating in the middle of the street and like the water looks so high. It's like, oh my god. <laughs> Deserts aren't made for that. No. Because you can picture it like it snows and then it gets real hot. So then the snow or it gets warm enough. Well, it gets hotter. The snow melts and then it rains. So then it's just a whole bunch of God. Yeah, it sounds like a mess. It sounds very scary. All right. So the flood devastated the game the Paiute relied on. You know, what what game it didn't scare away, it drowned and killed. So they don't, you know, they don't got a lot to eat here. Uh, additionally, the cattle of the settlers continued to eat and trample the vegetation. Uh, the vegetation the Paiutes used to feed themselves. Now, does this sound familiar? Where we're going mm-hmm. here? Uh, this relentless decimation of their food led the Paiutes to start murdering the cattle. And while one native was slaughtering a steer, which he felt was his right, as the steer was feeding on his wild hyacinth and yellow nut grass, a cowboy spotted the Paiute and murdered him. Now, the tribe obviously thought this was shitty, Mm -hmm. so they retaliated by killing another random settler. Okay. Going back to this. Yep, here we go. This would begin the Owens Valley War. Now, neither side, if we encompass all of them, uh, natives or whites, desired an all-out war. And at this point, only one white person and one Paiute had been killed. So they kind of considered it a wash, and they had a treaty made up that stated the natives would stop killing cattle if the settlers could control their grazing. Again, seems reasonable. Mm-hmm. Don't kill my cows. Like, all right, we'll get your cows off my nutgrass. I don't like your cows eating my nutgrass. Okay. Fair. Get that nutgrass out of that cow's mouth. Uh-huh. So, this was cool with everybody. Except Joaquin Jim, whose band of southern mono Paiutes, um actions eroded the peace within two months. Yeah, that's pretty quick. Yeah, they were like, how about we keep fucking up your ranches? How about we keep doing raids on you? What if we do that? Yeah, we're just going to do that. Okay. And how'd that go? Well, this would begin a vicious cycle of bloodshed and continuous revenge until May of 1862, when the the Paiutes had complete control of the Owens Valley. So they they had that on lock for a few months. When the military realized that the natives would not fight in the open and that following them up into the mountains was suicide... They decided they needed a more permanent base of operations and kind of get into this. So on July 4th, 1962, they founded Camp Independence. Yeah. 1962 or 1862? This motherfucker. 
<laughs> on July fourth, right. nineteen. Mm, what the fuck? Oh. <laughs> <clears throat> Eighteen sixty-two. Why does it auto? Why? Why does it just assume like oh, that's too long ago? Nineteen. I didn't type nineteen. Typed eighteen. Mm-hmm. On July fourth, eighteen sixty-two, they founded Camp Independence. And I mean, what else are you gonna call a camp? Yeah. Found on and we're there 40. to deliver freedom. <laughs> yeah. Now, a peace meeting was then arranged. Captain George, a war chief of the Paiutes, that's his name, Captain George, okay. wanted peace. They created a treaty that stated the Paiutes would have to give back all the land they stole from the settlers, which, I mean, is that really what happened here? Is, no. that really, well, is that really what they did here? I don't know what their previous treaties were, but... I just Yeah, I don't know how you can steal land that used to be, that was your... Anyways. So they agreed to do whatever that meant, and they surrendered five hostages as a show of good faith. So they just, five people just gave themselves up. Mm-hmm. Uh, Captain George was one of these hostages. And that maintained the peace. Well, until George vanished. Eventually, he just ran away. Okay. He's like, I don't want to do this anymore. He was like, you know, I'm sick of this. I'm out. He's like, yeah, that was a fun idea. And like, that was nice, a gesture. But like, I don't want to be here anymore. So this put the army on alert. The back and forth, you know, violence we've been talking about continued. But the military was relentless now having amassed many troops, and they focused on eliminating Joaquin Jim's food supplies and basically just trying to cut them off. Things were not going well for uh, Joaquin Jim's crew. Well, eventually, Captain George came back to Camp Independence and was, and you know, like before, but this time he was like, hey, you want some peace? Hey, can I have some mm-hmm. peace? Well, suspicious... It's a suspicious thing to go ahead and do, but he brought 400 fellow warriors with him, and they all surrendered. So that's a little bit more of a power play. He's like, all right, we're all here. We're all not going to do this anymore. Yeah, okay. Interesting. Like, all right. Well, this was a major blow to Joaquin Jim's army, and by July 22nd, 1863, around 900 Native Americans were being led to the Sebastian Indian Reservation. So they basically, you know, they gave it up. Mm-hmm. All right, and this is, a, this is a little excerpt from the good old Wikipedia we found, but it's from uh, Lieutenant Robert Daly. He had returned from the Owens Valley. Um, he reported on conditions there on December 3rd, 1864. So this is before the war is basically over, but he reported back on what natives had to say about their interactions with settlers, and basically, you know, they're destroying supplies. He just kind of, how are things going? Sir, in accordance with orders from headquarters... Department of the Pacific, I have the honor to make the following report relative to the Indians in Owens River Valley. I found Indian supplies in the valley not good, and the most of the Indians had left for the mountains. The Indian agent invited them to come in. Sixteen came and made the following report. They said they had been maltreated by the whites in various ways. To use their own language, they said Americans know good men. Hire Indian and not pay him according to agreement. I learned from Mr. Maloney, one of the present proprietors of Camp Independence, that the settlers of the valley were in the habit of sending to the Tool River Reservation for Indians to come and work for them. And when they would get them there, 
decline paying them, and after a certain length of time, drive them from their claims and cabins without pay or allowance. Huh. Uh, the Indians said they would retaliate and drive the whites out of the valley. From what I could learn from the best authority, and he, he says the, uh, the best authority in parentheses says white settlers, so I'm sure they're the best authority in this topic. I find that unless troops are sent there, the whites will have to leave the upper portion of the valley, as all the men connected with mining in White Mountain and vicinity had to leave on account of the Indians, supposed to be Captain Joaquin's party, comprised of Paiutes and Owens River Indians, and they are determined, so say peaceable Indians, to drive the whites out of the valley. From conversation with Indians left in the valley, we were informed that all the Indians capable of doing duty as warriors left for the mountains, leaving those that could not fight to take care of themselves. These Indians say they will go to Tool River Reservation if war commences. I believe the Indians have not been properly treated by the whites in Owens River Valley, and I think by all the information I could gather that unless troops are sent there, an outbreak, outbreak by the Indians is inevitable. I mean, don't be a dick. Right? You know? <laughs> like, hey, you wanna you wanna do this job for me? Sure, okay. I'll pay you I'll pay you this much. Awesome, that sounds reasonable to me. I'm cool with that. Alright, are you gonna pay me? I'm not gonna pay you, and actually I'm done with you. You've been staying in that cabin, you gotta leave immediately, and anything you have in there doesn't belong to you. Get the fuck out. Then yeah. oh, okay. Well me and my friends are gonna come back and just murder you all. Oh well maybe like, don't well, do that. Yeah, huh. I guess I didn't think that through. Like how fuck how fucking stupid is that? You can't just honor yeah. an agreement? It's like nah pass. <laughs> yeah. Just kidding. And like the Paiutes are trying to like play like the white man's game, like, alright, I'll do your stuff. We can yeah. cooperate, mate. Oh no, we can't? Alright. Cool. Thanks. All right, so uh, Joaquin Jim would continue his guerrilla assaults until 1865. But, I mean, those 900 Indians had surrendered, uh, Native Americans. But the war was effectively over. Now, Jim was either murdered in 1863, which I know that conflicts with me saying he was continuing guerrilla assaults until 1865. Mm -hmm. People aren't entirely sure. The other thing says that he died over the winter of 1864 to 1865, somewhere around there. He just didn't say he was murdered, just said like he passed away or died or the winter might have, you know, cold it's, it's back in those times. Done, done him in. Yeah. All right. Different bands of the Paiute. Um, there's other local groups like the uh, Bannock and Western Shoshone would wage their own conflicts against encroaching settlers. Like, different conflicts get broken down into different wars, but I'm looking at all the years these things span, and it's just like continuous indigenous warfare against the United States. Mm -hmm. But they break, they break it up into sections, but it's kind of the guerrilla attacks are kind of going all around. In, uh, yeah, it's in, in reality, war never stopped, because sources say the next Paiute United States conflict started in 1864. This one was called the Snake War, because that was the term the settlers called the Federation of Tribes. It stretched across California, Utah, Nevada, Oregon, and Idaho. The Snake War is a war like that not a lot of people talk about, and of course I didn't know about it until I was doing this. Um, it's kind of been lost in history. I didn't know about it. Yeah. But it was the deadliest of all the Indian wars. Um, 
People know about Little Bighorn, and there was 842 casualties at Little Bighorn. While during the Snake War, um, from both sides, it was 1,762. Damn. And that's like, you know, it's not a small number. No. Now, the reason why we don't really know about this war or why it doesn't, it's not in our forefront of knowledge is for one, I mean, history doesn't teach you half this shit, so there's that part. But two, Mm -hmm. um, there wasn't like a super prominent um, Native American leader, like spearheading it, somebody that we could center on, you know, to either vilify or hype up. Crazy horse or nothing like that. No, yeah, no, no, Tecumseh, no, um, Chief Blackhawk, he's one. And I mean, there's there's a bunch of like notable, well, heroes of these wars. And also, we like to do that because we also like to focus on like, I don't know if parts of America like to focus on lost causes and they tend to relate to like the Native Americans against the the bigger fighting force. But like Mm -hmm. your country is a bigger fighting force. Your country isn't exactly the, you can't exactly say your country is totally the good guys here. They're not the good guys. But you know, the underdog struggle always relates to the American psyche. We are a fan of an underdog. Yeah. I like a good underdog. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I just said I like a good underdog. Right? All right, so the Bannock people had developed as a distinct group from the northern Paiute nation of northern Idaho. This is a little bit of Wikipedia speak here. During the 18th century, these Paiute had traveled south to the Snake River uh, plains of present-day Idaho, attracted by the prospect of an alliance with the linguistically similar and equestrian Shoshone peoples. Again, the Paiute and Shoshone are, like, locked in. They're, you know, they're friends. It was during this period that these Paiute became known as the Bannock. The Bannocks quickly adopted the Shoshone's equestrian culture and made other ties through intermarriage with the Shoshone. The Bannock provided increased security and population for the Shoshone, who had lost many members due to epidemics of infectious disease contracted from Europeans. In 1878, the Bannock people had already been placed on a reservation, but food shortages and a fracturing of the community led to violence. The back-and-forth fighting between natives and whites I described in the previous conflicts took a hold until America's imperial might subdued the population and then further restricted them on the on the Fort Hill Reservation. I mean, we all know how this story ultimately plays out. I mean, we can just look right. around. Yeah. The country was founded on indigenous land. But America does what America does. Um, the Army Camp Independence would eventually close, but be reestablished as a fort when the native violence would begin again, like it would often do. Um, in 1877, the fort would be abandoned, and then eventually the fort would become the Fort Independence of Paiute Indians, home to the Paiute and Shoshone peoples to this day. So eventually, good old Fort Independence became a uh, place of power for the Paiute and the Shoshone. So it's theirs now. Hmm. Right? It's kind of an interesting circle of events. Yeah. This was established to fight you, and now it's yours. I guess I'd count that as a win. I guess. Hmm. I mean, you know. I, I guess. Right. But of course, with a fort brings people, and people had settled around the fort, and it morphed into a town, Independence, California. And just outside that town, 16 miles to be exact, is another town. Okay. 
It's called Lone Pine. This town was named after a singular pine tree that once stood outside of Lone Pine Canyon. Needless to say, a lot of people were affected by this pine tree. A lot mm -hmm. of things are named Lone Pine. So it must have been like the only pine tree in the desert. Like there's a Lone Pine. Yeah. Not a forest. Nope, it's a Lone Pine. This is our landmark. This is what we're going to use to identify this area. Now, Lone Pine is a pretty big town these days. In the 2010 census, the town had 2,035 residents. Oh, it's pretty small still. It's a, Yeah, it's a pretty, it's not a whopper. <laughs> it's real tiny. <laughs> it's real tiny. Mm-hmm. But um, 10 years before in the previous census, there was like 1,000 people living there. So it's quite a 10-year jump. 1,000 people made it there. Yeah, that's pretty good. Now, this is a little bit of Lone Pine's history, because we're just talking about terrible stuff. All right, you want to talk about something else that's terrible, okay? Mm-hmm. A violent earthquake ravaged the town on March 26th, 1872 at 2.30 a.m. Out of 80 buildings made of adobe and mud, again, it's 1872, only 20 remain standing. Up to 300 people lived in the town at that time, and the earthquake had killed 26 of them. Damn. Yeah. Of course, time moves on. 1920. 1920. Mm-hmm. Not 1820. All right, I got it. The movie The Roundup filmed there, and after the production company came into this town, the floodgates were opened. And over the coming decades, 400 movies, hundreds of TV episodes, and multiple commercials have been filmed there. So this place, I mean, if you want to tell stories about the American West, evidently, you come here. Okay. But what if I just spent the better part of an hour telling you? Why watch a Western when you can hear about the actual West? Mm-hmm. Those stories are not fiction. They are real. Genuine stories of displacement, rebellion, starvation, murder, revenge, imperialism. Literally stories of how the, quote, West was won, end quote. It's a good album. <laughs> yeah. It's the... Which, 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 who does, whose album is that? That's Led Zeppelin's live <laughs> DVD series. And it's it's fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah, good. That's incredible. Mm-hmm. But I talked to you about a lot of battles. Mm-hmm. A lot of murder. Just a, a couple lot of people. A lot of blood. And we've talked about those things before. These are the kind of stories you get when you dip into American history and what's going on here. Well, mm -hmm. Of all those battles that I talked about, um, one of those battles was fought over what is now Whitney Portal Road. The only road in a town of 2000, again it's in Lone Pine, and the only road to cross Highway 395. But there were no highways in the 1860s. There were no stoplights. There was a war. And it raged. And what if... 
just what if, in a way, that war never stopped? Let's jump ahead a hundred years. From now? From 1860. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> in, <laughs> in 2080. In 2080. <laughs> huh. Making some Everything real long, long predictions here. Yeah, well, yeah, well, I could... Nope. I'm feeling about being creative about predicting what's going on in 2080. I'm not going to do that. No. And I'm not going to go there. Nope. I want to. I'm not doing it, though. I mean, we'll all be gone because it'll be after the singularity, so... Well, I was going to talk about how the uh, the ashes were still smoldering. The, <laughs> yeah. the smoke, the atmosphere, the sun was blocked out from the war with the machines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh Yep, we had conscripted the, mach- the the machines into our own civil war. They picked sides, obliterated all of us because they united against us, and then they decided to obliterate each other, and then they pol- uh, it's just yep. So that's 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 twenty eighty. Twenty eighty. <laughs> well, Orwell wrote nineteen eighty four. Maybe I will write two thousand eight twenty eighty. <laughs> what are <laughs> <laughs> just about the post robot war? Mm-hmm cool the future is going to be fun 1960 okay gunshots loud bang bang boom loud distinctive gunshots that's what a woman claimed she had heard outside of her home when she went to take a look outside she noticed a black man wearing native american regalia okay she claimed he looked like a warrior. Now, the speculation to explain how this is happening, was he an ex-slave who ran off to be free and live with the Paiute? It's 1960, and she's hearing gunshots. He stared at her, but it was a look of indifference. Perhaps because he was too occupied, waiting for more native fighters to arrive and flank both his sides. Because this is obviously what happened. So mm-hmm. an army has just, you know, just has just organized itself out of, of apparently thin air. The collection of warriors took up defensive positions and started firing in a specific direction and reloading their rifles. You could hear all the sounds, the clicking, the clacking. It was like it's everything. All the sounds were evidently audible. Then after 15 minutes, they disappeared. Now, evidently, this tale is not unusual for this stretch of road. Bullet holes have been claimed. Claims of bullet holes being seen in the direction the group is firing have also been reported. <laughs> so you can just find random bullet holes and blame the, uh, the phantom Native American army. <laughs> now... This is one haunted story of Lone Pine. Would it shock you if I was to tell you I had another? No. Trains used to run to Lone Pine, and during one trip, four different passengers claimed to see entire swaths of United States soldiers decked out in their army blues and Native Americans obliterating each other and their horses, the wounded living out their demise and collapsing right in front of the traveling passengers who all saw the same thing and were all traveling and sitting 
on different parts of the train. Huh. That'd be spooky. Yeah. Just clicking and clacking on the tracks, looking out the window. Oh, my God, there's a war. (laughs) Yeah. Holy shit. It said there was four people who saw it. And then eventually they they found each other and talked about it. Not a lot of details there. But it's a story. Maybe the, they were the only four awake or something. That, yeah. Oh, that could they be. They look across the train car and it's like two guys. Everybody else is sleeping. They look at each other and like, yeah. you, are you seeing that? <laughs> like, One guy sees the back of some guy just like this. Like yeah. with his hands on his head. Just like, what is happening? Like, hey, dude, you see this shit? Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. Now. The stories continue. Let's stick alongside Whitney Portal Road. We've come along a lot of haunted roads recently. Mm-hmm. Here's another. There's been a lot of haunted right. roads. Around the uh, Alabama Hills, to be exact. The next haunting originates with a man. A Native American man. And this, this is what the story calls him. Called Indian Jim. Okay. Now, the legend states that Indian Jim was a gold prospector who froze to death in the 1940s. Allegedly, Jim gives warning to those who need it. Now, warning, what does this mean? Well, what is he warning people about? Well, when one of Jim's friends was in the hills looking for tungsten, and this is the first man that sees Jim, Another native man, his friend, by the name of George, Jim appeared and yelled for him to go. Not willing to ignore his spirit friend, George took off. Solid move, too, because after George left the area, a vicious blizzard rolled in. Hmm. He's got his back. This is the legend of the rescue man. That's what that story is called. Okay. Now... Earlier I mentioned two Native American warriors. Now, why are the story why are the characters in this legend named Jim and George respectively? I After mean Captain George. Right? And Joaquin Jim? Mm-hmm. That seems like too on point for this area to be a coincidence. Like the random names being like Jim and George. I know they're common names, but in this story, in this area, and they're both natives. Mm-hmm. I don't know what transpired to make this part of this legend, but there seems like there's some kind of missing link here. Yeah, could be. Definitely. Especially, I mean, it does, this doesn't take place until like the 40s, which is totally removed, obviously, from their battles. Mm-hmm. But, you know. If they're looking for names to attach to these local, you know, indigenous guys about this rescue man story, maybe they came from that. Now, a tribe was living near Hogback Creek, 10 miles outside of Lone Pine. Now, from my earlier mentionings that we discussed, uh, native raids and white settlers were happening basically all the time. So this is a story about a raid. But this raid was not on mere settlers, but the United States Army. 
who were transporting $10,000 worth of gold. Where? To Fort Knox? Maybe. What year was oh, it? Yeah, what's what, it was Fort Knox had all gold. Yeah, what what year is this taking place? Oh, this this is um this is like the eighteen hundred. This is during the war. Oh, so. okay, I got you. Yeah, yeah. Now, how do you think that raid went? Probably good, this, since we're going to talk about it. Hell Depending yeah! Depending on whose whose perspective, I guess you're well, looking that, at. That's, though. Well, that's true. Yeah, <laughs> I consider a success. The raid was a success. So they brought the gold back to their encampment. But the chief did not endorse this and became concerned of the military's retributions and he had a concern that bandits would attack them, harass them, and steal the money and that they would be endangered in the process. Mm -hmm. Legitimate complaint if other criminals, people who like to steal things, find out you have $10,000 worth of gold, they might try and come find you. So the leader ordered the gold buried and then tasked one of his most trusted men to guard it. Just by himself? Just by himself. He's just standing there on a big pile of freshly turned up dirt? That's exactly what No, there's nothing here. Yeah, moving on. Hey, what's up? Hey, what's under that pile (laughs) of dirt? Uh, Nothing. Nothing. Dirt? What? Oh, that's my my chair. What? It's not that big of a pile. I'm just sitting on it. Yeah. He just... Don't come any closer. That would be that would be the best move is just yeah, bury it and just put a chair in it and just sit there and like oh, I'm just hanging out. Yeah. Why are you always sitting in this weird spot in the middle of nowhere? Ah, don't worry about it. Is that gold? No, no, no. What? No. <laughs> Am I old? No, I'm not that old. But this man does get old because he watched it for twenty years. He spent twenty years watching his gold. This pile, this dirt hmm. pile with gold or anything. Until the population of Lone Pine blossomed and, you know, new settlers, you know, m- new white people entered the area. And when they saw this particular plot of land, they felt inspired. They wanted to build a firehouse. They wanted this to be their fire station. Exactly mm-hmm. on the same spot where the gold was buried. Hmm. But that right. was a bit of a surprise. Right? Yeah. Oh, random firehouse. Weird. Yeah. It's weird that there's a chair sitting here where we're going to build this firehouse. Yeah, but... though, this chair looks real comfy. I think it looks like a good spot for a fire station. Isn't there a man there? Ah. <laughs> He'll move. Yeah, they're like, they. he's like, they always move. Like, what? What the fuck are you doing? He's like, ah, it's tradition. You fucking bastard. Now, I've been summing up this story until now. This is a quote about the uh, the man watching the gold. He, well, quote, he got upset and ended up getting himself killed. What? <laughs> yeah, you want to talk about that? How what upset did he get? Uh, enough to make somebody want to murder him, I guess. He was probably screaming, this is my land, don't let me, just, I can't leave here, I'm, this is where I, I need, this is mine. And they're like, just no. No, it's not. You've been sitting here 20 years, time to go, bud. You haven't even done anything with it. Wait, what are you, it's not like there's buried treasure under here, is there? He's like, of course not. I just have to keep <laughs> watching it, though. Yeah. <laughs> no, just... definitely not that. You're not close at all about what's actually going on here. Nope. 
Well, so the man's spirit, perhaps at the request of his, quote, it said head man. I don't know what that means. Like his religious leader, the tribe's figurehead, a chief. I don't know what that means, but the thing I read said, quote, head man. So whatever. Requested that he continue looking after the land, even in death. Which seems kind of fucking mean, right? Just let the man go. Yeah. No, man, you can't move on. You're going to watch this gold that you can't spend, that you never spent. You just watched it for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So, that's what he did. His spirit was tethered to the earth, which led to a very haunted firehouse. Hmm. But... How how haunted? Oh, I mean, it was... They would, uh... They claimed to have seen this man disappearing. But... Nothing is forever, especially firehouses. And in 1946, Earl Richardson bought the property and demolished the fire station to build his home. So he built the house here. And one night he claimed to have seen the incorporeal invader and the man. And uh, so he he saw the spirit. And then as he was sleeping, the spirit held him down as he slept. Which sounds like this man had sleep paralysis. That's exactly what that sounds like. Mm hmm. And that's that story. Moving right along, there's a few more here because there's a lot going on in Lone Pine, evidently. Okay. The area's abandoned train depot in the storage containers at random spot, random times, I guess, they seem to get real dark, like unusually dark when they shouldn't be that dark. It's just like pitch black inside. And it's also visited by a ghostly little girl that people can see. Okay. Well, that's not creepy. No. Little ghost girls are always scary. Yeah, I mean, anything with, like, little little ghost kids. There's a lot of horror involved there, and it's just not great. Well, let's talk about a famous uh, hotel chain. Best Western. There's a a local Best Western that is haunted by a cowboy who decides he needs to appear in whatever room he wants and traverse the property at all times of the day and night. that sounds fun. This is be a wandering cowboy. Just pop yeah. up, go away. Hmm. Huh. And now, we've mentioned the Owens River Valley, Owens Lake. Um, also in Owens Lake, sometimes it has ghost ships that just sail across it. Because why the fuck not? Let's do a ghost ship. Why not? What kind of ghost ships? I imagine like, like a pirate ship or something. It's just a ghost yeah, just ship. just a full-on caravel. Yeah, hopefully it's like... like it's, it's not like a 1980s like speedboat. Oh, there's a ghost boat. That's not cool. Yeah. Some dude wearing sunglasses on it. Yeah. He's got it's a not... mullet. Yeah. And then he just he just rides off <laughs> into the clouds, into the fog. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> well, that was strange. That was a weird one. Yeah, not these these big, like, admir- like uh, you know, armada ships. These big, uh, you know, the Nina at the Pintus at the Santa Maria. They're not floating around this lake. But, I mean, that's <laughs> what I pictured. Mm-hmm. All right, now that is our last, the last haunted story of a uh, Lone Pine, and now normally I may have prefaced that by saying, you know, finally with our last story, but that story is not a finally. Mm-hmm. Okay. No, this this episode is about the hauntings and horrors and history of Lone Pine, California. That's what it's about. But what if I told you I didn't even get a chance to tell you about the madness that led me down this path? 
Okay. What if that wasn't even included in this episode I just told you? What if there's a story in here that I cannot wait to tell you, but that I am not going to tonight? Okay. Well. What if I, what if I told you the wait is going to be worth it? What if I told you it's pretty good? All right. All right. But this is Lone Pine, California. Mm-hmm. And there is, well, this is this story is about hauntings. What if something more corporeal exists here? That's all I'm gonna okay. say. Okay. All right. In this, in like this people. Out- yeah, there's there's some people. There's, these people are very corporeal. You're just gonna read me biography or like people's diaries and stuff from there. Yeah, it's. It'll just be journals from the wars. Yeah. Some more depressing bad shit they can talk about. Yeah. <laughs> just not good. More not mm-hmm. good shit. But no, what if those people... Well, that's too much of a teaser. You can let your mind wander for that one. All right. Because it's a pretty good thing. But until right. next time, we've we've laid the groundwork. We've established that California exists. It does. It's uh, and we've established now, this area. It's kind of haunted. Mm-hmm. And along with its nearby states, like most United States, it's got a history of trauma. I mean, these wide-scale yep. murder wars happened in basically almost every state. I mean, yeah, they're like turf wars. Right. Yes. You know. So the area is full of a lot of trauma, and I uh. I think I'll just leave it at that. But that's the uh, right. history, history, hauntings, and horrors of Lone Pine, California. A lot can happen in a desert, too. A lot that doesn't have to do with war. Mm-hmm. Spaceships. Abductions. Could be a, maybe it's a spaceship. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Or that's, I'll yeah, find that's out. A, and we'll find out. It's quite it's quite a long hype episode where the uh the story is part of this story is just part of a journey, but it's the only way it's gonna work. Alright. Because I mean we don't need to rival the uh the Nian Rouge and make a two hour episode again. So we'll get oh, to yeah, it. Oh yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get yeah. to it. Yeah, we'll get to it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. uh yeah, I mean, as usual, if you guys have any hauntings, any stories, any crazy suggestions or anything, you can email us at weirdandfreepodcast at gmail.com. We are um, on all the social medias, the Facebook, the Instagram, um, anchor.fm slash weirdandfear. You can send us a voice message if you want to. And we're on the Patreon. We're loading up those behind the veils. We got five up there now. and Probably three more going to come out this week. And then after they're all loaded, it'll be concurrent with every episode you listen to but if you want more discussions about creepy stuff and random tangents yeah yeah because we can go down tangents we're good at that oh we can we've got your back yeah tangents Mm -hmm. are good kind of like what happened when i was preparing this episode Mm -hmm. that happens it it does and i mean and in the behind the veil stuff you get to learn about some of the crazy tangents that's true that's true, absolutely. Right, exactly. How but the main part of our show is always what you get, so. Right. And main part of the show is staying spooky. 
Yeah. Staying spooky. Stay spooky. <laughs>